0: Hello, everyone. It's your old friend, Joe. This is Strange Sound. Thanks for being with me today. Uh, Today is the day I'm recording this anyway, is January 16th. It's Saturday. As I've mentioned many times before, I record on Saturday. I post on Monday. There you have it. Uh, Glad that you're listening. Hope everyone is okay out there. I'm going to start with my standard disclaimer, as I always do the opinions expressed on this sh- on this program are mine own <laughs> mine own Well oh, that's a very old fashioned way of saying it it is a sad thing but mine own it is a small thing but mine own no these are my opinions that i am expressing on strange sound They are not the opinions of anyone associated with me, not my employer, not my friends, not my family, not my neighbors, not my casual associates, not my Facebook friends, not the people who follow me on Twitter. No one agrees with me, nowhere, no how. It's just me exercising my valued First Amendment rights. Indeed. I am not a First Amendment absolutist, by the way, uh, but I do value the First Amendment. I think it is a wonderful um, legacy of a somewhat troubled constitutional order. But there we have it. So uh, what a week we've had. Another one. I won't say that it was a worse week than the week before, but it, it's still things are bad things are bad. You don't need me to tell you that. You can hear that anywhere else. You know that from your own personal experience. I know when in excess of 3,500 to 4,000 people dying of COVID, when we have numbers like that, I know that there are people out there and good chance that someone listening to this is one of those people um, that have lost loved ones because of this disease, the thing I'm calling the Trump disease. Trumpetosis is killing thousands of people every day. And they're doing nothing except lying about it. They lied about the reserve supply of vaccine that they were supposedly holding aside for second shots. They lied about that. That reserve doesn't exist. And so all these people who had shots, vaccinations scheduled... For the coming days, uh, they've been told that they're not going to get their vaccine. This is just, they have fucked this up from one end to the other. Trump literally has five more days in office, and all he can think about is what kind of a brass band he wants when he walks onto the frickin' plane on January 20th and flies off to his cheesy resort in Mar-a-Lago. He's planning his red carpet exit. That's what he's doing. All I can say is, you know, when they uh, when they add another chair to the hall of ex-presidents and they put a new chair at the end of the line, seeing as they'll be lining them up from the best president to the worst president, I'm afraid James Buchanan is going to have to accept not being the worst president In history anymore. That chair is going to go right next to him. At best. Maybe between Buchanan. And Andrew Johnson. They might have a little buddy back there. But one way or the other. He's going to be in one of those. Last two chairs. And that will be up to the historians. As far as I'm concerned. He gets last place. Because he's a jackass. And I can't wait to see him board that plane, and get his dumb ass back down to Florida right where he fucking belongs. All right. Anyway, um, so yeah, COVID. It's killing us. I am really nervous about this disease. I will say, speaking personally, I am really nervous about this disease. Not just because I'm over 60 and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm relatively healthy, but I have had a couple of, a couple of, uh, health issues. It's, it's mostly because of my, um, my spouse. Um, she's got underlying issues and I'm really worried about her catching this and I'm trying to take every precaution. Um, I'm (laughs) limiting contact with people as much as I possibly can, especially during this time when, um, there's a tremendous surge in cases, including in my own, uh, little patch here in upstate New York. Uh, a lot of cases we appear to be leading the state in some respects in the percentage of, uh, people who are contracting COVID. And that's not a good thing to be first in, as everyone knows. No one wants to win that race. And it's making me very nervous, but, uh. Uh, I I do, um, I do go into my office, um, at least part time, thus far to do some work. My office is fairly isolated from other people. Um, I have very little contact with other people, and my employer is very good at like um, disinfecting things. So we're careful. Uh, my employer tests every week, so I get tested every week. Um, it's a pool test, but it's extremely sensitive. Um, it has a very long, how, how shall I term this? This is kind of technical, but, and I'm, I, so what I'm saying is I don't particularly understand it, but (laughs) this particular test that they're using, um, at my employer can detect, um, COVID virus very early on. Um, and very late. So if there's any evidence of it, it's like you don't have to be showing symptoms. You can be pre-symptomatic and just really have, have only just picked it up. And this test is sensitive enough that it would would register a positive. So when you get a negative on this test, it's very good news. Um, And they've been kind enough to sort of notify us um, that our pool was you know, negative. Um, if we find out we're in a positive pool, they will notify us as well. And they can go back and check the individual um, members of the pool. They, they can go back and sort of isolate the individual members who, who, who were positive within that pool. Uh, so they, they can then contact trace, they can notify and contact trace and get people to isolate and that sort of thing. Um, I'm half isolating anyway, as I said, because of my wife. So I'm, (laughs) it wouldn't be a huge, um, wouldn't be a huge change in habits. That's for sure. Uh, if I was part of a positive pool, the main thing that I am, I am concerned about is passing it along to my wife. Um, I did have to quarantine, um, earlier in 2020 in after my uh, brief hospitalization that I mentioned in earlier episodes um, in April of 2020, um, it turned out that I had come into contact with someone who, who tested positive for, for COVID, um, and they were worried that I had been infected, and they contact traced, and they, uh, they told me to isolate for 14 days. I did. Um, I tested negative. Um, after that, so uh, I hadn't hadn't been infected, but it was a it was kind of a source of worry for a while. In any case, uh, rollout of the vaccine in our local area here has been halting and chaotic, and everything you would expect it to be under the current regime, which is pretty much, um, you know, Trump pushing out you know a certain number of. Uh, doses to the various states, and then letting them sort it out for themselves, and not giving them any support and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, so it's going about as well as you would expect it to go. I will say that our um, New York State government, um, Governor Cuomo, um, is handling it about the way you would expect him to handle it, which is in a way that more or less favors his big campaign donors, <laughs> the hospital associations, and the, uh, the the some of the the big um, hospital groups that uh, contribute heavily to his uh, campaigns and uh, requiring um, up to this point that the vaccines get sent out via these hospitals, um, under the control of the hospitals. Now, I think they've had to loosen that a little bit, but that was the way we started. Um, And that, of course, concentrates... um, the distribution of the vaccine in in very you know very specific places you you uh, it limits access to the vaccine, particularly in underserved communities, and uh, that's that's problematic. I'm not going to get into the details of that because I'm, I don't want to claim to be an expert on that. I'm not, but my hope is that in the weeks ahead, as the new administration uh, rolls into place. Um, that this will start to change and that more people will get vaccinated and that there will be a more reasonable policy moving forward and that they'll put some resources behind it, which is what they ought to do, which they haven't been doing up to now. So we'll see. We'll see how that works. Anyway, that isn't really what I was going to talk about today. Uh, Today, uh, and, you know, just to... I I don't like to push covid aside because it's such a huge disaster and I have to reiterate I am just shocked at the fact that we are not approaching this more seriously uh, as a problem than we are thus far. It's very disturbing to me that that we have not been able to sort of come together as a, as a as a people and as a nation you know, and defend ourselves against this deadly virus and do what we need to do. Thus far, not, you know, the jury is still out. We'll see. It's a little late in the game. We should have started, uh, you know, with the all for one, one for all, uh, but we're not, we're not there yet. (laughs) And it's already killed close to 400,000 Americans. Disgusting. Shame. But let's get back to the other major shame that we have witnessed over the last few weeks. And that, uh, my friends, is, as you well know, uh, the attack on our national government, on the capital of the United States, um, on the Capitol building, while the Senate and the House and the vice president of the United States were engaged in a constitutional process of confirming this election and the election of the next president of the United States, which uncontroversially is Joe Biden, who won the election convincingly and is going to be the next president of the United States. They were In the process, the constitutional process of confirming and officially naming the president elect the president, in essence, that's the process. That's the constitutional process that we have to go through. As I said in the last episode, I'm no big fan. (laughs) I'm no big fan of the Electoral College. But that is the system we have. And in the midst of that process, which involved a joint session of Congress presided over by the Vice President of the United States, in the midst of that process, the Capitol was attacked by a bunch of racist thugs and insurrectionists sent there in a horde by the president of the united states who egged them on from the other end of pennsylvania avenue who sent them rampaging down pennsylvania avenue to attack the capitol which is what they did they attacked and invaded the capitol they overwhelmed the strangely you know undermanned capitol police that day i mean I mentioned it in the last episode, I believe, but people were shocked at how little preparation was done at the Capitol. I think it was Clyburn that said that, you know, when he came in that morning, it looked like a Saturday. It looked like nobody was going to work that day. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the type of preparation that they had done. For some reason, they had stood down. They had stood down and allowed this to happen is crazy it's just crazy to think that they would have left the capitol building as undefended as it was and yes there were members of the capitol police who were sympathetic with evidently were sympathetic or seemed to be sympathetic with the attackers that said there were members of the Capitol Police and of course members of the DC police who were called in to respond once you know the Capitol had been breached. I think it was after I think it was after they had breached the Capitol. they, they called for help. There were members of those two forces that were critical in protecting these two, essentially these two branches of our national government. Um, that had come together to perform this constitutional duty on January 6th. They were absolutely critical to the protection of the the House, members of the House, members of the Senate, including the leadership of both of those bodies, and the Vice President of the United States, who, by the way, is a member of this administration that had sent those, those mobs of people rampaging into the Capitol in the first place. Astonishingly. (laughs) And I just wanted to talk about this a little bit because I think it's important. Why do I think it's important? I don't know. I I just, this struck me. Uh, Just the last couple of days I was thinking about this. And I had seen some interviews of some of the officers, some of the D.C. police um, who had been in the melee, um, who had been defending the Capitol. i would seen stories about some of the uh, Capitol police officers. Um, I've seen the footage that everyone has seen, obviously. Um, and you know, I, I talked a little bit about the rioters last week, the insurrectionists last week. Um, I'm sure I'll return to that just because, to me, it is. To me, somehow the details make it seem more and more heinous. I mean, as more video has surfaced of this event, it is becoming clearer and clearer that this was a pre planned, um truly heinous act that was that had murderous intent and was fixed on the idea of basically overthrowing the government. This is what their intent was. They were taking that building. They were going to interrupt that constitutional process of selecting the next president, of confirming the election of the next president, because they wanted their, they wanted their hair-headed, fat-ass führer to continue as president beyond his term, even though he lost the election convincingly. They wanted him to continue as some kind of dictator, unelected, because they're only counting the the votes of white people. If only white people's voted, votes counted, and I mentioned this, I talked about this a couple episodes ago, if you only counted white people's votes, Trump would have went on a landslide. That's what they're doing. They only count white people's votes. And if you look at that crowd, you may be able to find a couple of brown faces in there, but for the vast, vast majority of them were all white. And some of them were carrying Confederate flags. And a lot of them were carrying other racist symbols. And, uh, you know, they were parading around the, the Capitol with it. And it was pretty much universally all saying, this is our government. We're taking it back. This is ours. It's ours. We're white people, basically. And we're taking it back from you, just like Wilmington, South Carolina at the end of the 19th century, when you had a multiracial coalition running that, that city, and it got overthrown by a white mob. It was a coup. And they took it over because they couldn't stand the idea that they were being ruled by not only black people, who were in the majority in South Carolina in those days, but also White people who were who were collaborating with them, in the eyes of the Klan, they took over power and they kept it. And they've got it still. Those people didn't pay. They were successful, and so we saw on January sixth, they attempted to do that in our national government for the same reason. For a lot of them, the reason was they wanted to reestablish and permanently install their president who represents to them the pinnacle of white power. And we could talk about this endlessly. Sure, the American presidency is mostly about white power, but it is attenuated. It is attenuated by the the votes and the participation of people of color. We're chipping away at it. They don't like that. That's what they're trying to overthrow. And I'm telling you right now, Those people that stood in their way, those D.C. police officers, those Capitol Police officers who stood in their way, those people were defending the republic. They were defending democracy in the United States, and some of them, one of them, Brian Sicknick, Capitol Police officer, gave his life in the defense of the republic. Now, I don't know about you, but all of my life, through every war that I've lived through, and I'm, I'm sixty-one. I've lived through a lot of wars. I lived through the Vietnam War. I lived through um, the Gulf War. I didn't go to any of them, by the way, just to I hasten to add, and I'm goddamn grateful for that. But I lived through the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, all the um, the the skirmishes of the '90s, right. The uh, invasion of Panama and the invasion of, well, during Reagan's time, there was, you know, the, the so called peacekeepers in Lebanon and the invasion of Grenada. And um, in H.W. Bush's time, it was the invasion of Panama and the invasion of um, Somalia supposedly for peacekeeping, and of course the Gulf War, which was the huge thing, the huge um, fight for freedom. And then after that, of course, the war in Afghanistan, the Iraq War, the intervention in Libya, the intervention in Syria, various other interventions throughout the world, including our participation in the Yemen War, our participation in the Syrian War, but all of these major wars what they said to us was that we're fighting for freedom we're fighting to defend our way of life we're fighting to protect the de- the republic that's the whole reason why our department of war was changed to department of defense because they want to make the argument that anytime we apply imperial power around the world military power it is in defense of freedom. It is in defense of our liberties. It is in defense of our republic. Nothing could be further from the truth. And this is no shade on the veterans. This is no shade on the people who were who were press-ganged into these wars. They were sent overseas, and a lot of them were, you know, a lot of them did so with the best of intentions. I won't say everyone, because... It's always more complicated than that. But I don't hold them responsible. I hold us responsible. This is a democratic society. We have the ability to stop a war if we want to. We just tell our leaders not to do it. If we wanted to be out of Vietnam, we could have told our leaders to pull people out. There's ways that we can do it as a people. And in a certain sense, that's what happened. It took a lot of organizing and a lot of effort, but we did raise the cost of participation in the Vietnam War, and we pulled out. But at that time, they were telling us we're fighting for freedom. Bullshit. We weren't even fighting for democracy in South Vietnam. We were supporting a dictator who had demonstration elections. Well, various dictators, starting with Diem, ending up with two... And key in between and a bunch of them, you know, I, it, it got a little complicated in the early 60s <laughs> after they assassinated DM. I won't get into details about that, but look it up. Ask your mother. Um, but, you know, they said that was for freedom. It wasn't for freedom. Bullshit. Gulf War, it's for freedom. We're defending freedom. We're defending liberty. We're defending the flag. Bullshit. I'm not even going to, not even going to, Talk about Afghanistan and and the Gulf War or, or the Iraq War. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Sure, we were attacked on 9-11, yeah. Yep, and they, they attacked the, the government. So, you know, people, to the extent that they were able to defend us from that attack, they were, you know, fighting to preserve our institutions in a certain sense. Invading Afghanistan afterwards? Eh, not so much. We could have held the people who were responsible for 9-11 accountable in other ways. But that's a matter of debate and opinion. I happen to feel that that was the wrong way to approach it. But there you go. Still bullshit. Iraq, still bullshit. Nothing to do with it. The point I'm trying to make is that these officers in the D.C. police, and I'm not talking about everybody here, I'm talking about the ones who defended the Capitol. In a real sense, for the first time in my lifetime, these, these people were actually defending our republic. They were defending democracy. They were literally defending democracy. As close as you can get. That's as close as you can get to that fact. And, you know, we're talking about people like Brian Sicknick, who gave his life, trying to to prevent this crowd from entering the Capitol building and killing the Speaker of the House and the Vice President. You know, they were calling out for blood, right? And... Not only just to get those individuals, which is bad enough, constitutional officers of the United States government, but also to interrupt a vital piece of the selection process for the president of the United States, a constitutional process. They were there expressly to interrupt that constitutional process. That is an attack on our system. And those people, those Capitol police officers and those D.C. police officers, were defending our republic against an attack. So for the first time in my 61 years, these people were fighting for, quote-unquote, freedom, for liberty, for democracy, for the republic. And that includes this... uh, D.C. police officer named Michael Fanone. I'm probably mispronouncing his name. And uh, forgive me if I am. But he was the guy who was... He was one of the guys who was outside. Um, got separated from his group. And they were trying to grab his gun and shoot him with his gun. Um, he's been interviewed on television a couple of times. And described... Um, described the... Uh, the events of January the 6th uh, in kind of harrowing detail. <sighs> he was tempted to use his gun. He didn't because he thought it might turn into a, a melee and he might end up dead anyway. So uh, he started telling, you know, shouting to people in the crowd that he had, he had, a, he had kids, you know, he had a wife and kids and supposedly some of them protected him from From the worst of the crowd. Uh, They sort of surrounded him. Um, But later on he basically said. Yeah well you know. Fuck you for being there. (laughs) Thanks but fuck you for being there. In the first place. Because they were you know. He was holding off. A crazy horde. Another uh, DC police officer. Named Daniel Hodges. Uh, I'm sure many of you. Who have seen the footage. Of. January sixth, have seen this guy. He got caught in the doorway when he was trying to hold back the crowd from entering, um, basically the inner recesses of of the Capitol building, and uh, Officer Hodges was being crushed in that doorway, and it was it's a harrowing piece of video, and he describes it. Um, some have shared this. Uh, clip on, I think it was Anand Girdidas, uh shared it uh, just today. This is Saturday the 16th, so if you look back through his um, Twitter feed, you'll see it. Um, there's a little clip of him describing what happened. Uh, he's he's apparently okay, didn't get seriously injured, but it, looked, it just looked horrible. He was being crushed in a doorway in this huge, you know, mass of humanity, and they were pulling his helmet off. <sighs> uh, it was It's a really ugly piece, and it was very disturbing. I was kind of glad to see that he had gotten through it. But again, here he was, you know, putting his life on the line to, to protect our democracy or our republic. I'll put it that way. <sighs> Another person that I would want to just mention um, is Capitol Police Officer Eugene Goodman, who... Managed to draw um, a crowd of thugs away from where the Senate was was gathered, a room where a lot of the senators were were um, ensconced. He sort of goaded the crowd, and you've probably seen this footage as well. I can't describe it as well as just watching the footage. Just look for it, Eugene Goodman, you know, Capitol police officer. Um, easy to find. Um, He very cleverly got them to chase him to uh, a landing, I think, on the third floor where um, he knew there were additional officers that could come and and back him up, but it was just him. And he was facing off against a crowd of racist thugs. It's a black officer. And uh, very brave. Again, Fighting for the Republic. Defending the Republic. I've finally seen it, friends. After all these years, after all these decades of watching war after war, where they said we're defending freedom and knowing it was bullshit. This time, for real. (laughs) These guys should get medals. And not just them, right? But these are the ones that are... These are the, you know, some of the more notorious stories, but there's a lot of this. And you can see in the footage, a lot of these officers were really, they were working very hard to delay, to hold the crowd back long enough so that the senators and the Congress members and the vice president could get out of harm's way. That's what they were able to do. They couldn't hold them back forever, but they held them back long enough so that those constitutional officers, those elected officials, the people that we sent to Washington to represent us in this democratic republic, flawed as it is, our representatives, they kept them safe. They kept the vice president safe. I'm no fan of the Vice President. I don't think that's any secret. I can't stand the guy, but he's the Vice President of the United States, and he was a hair's breadth away from well, you know he had the protection of the secret service, and I've said um to said to my wife and some other people that would can stand to listen to me. <laughs> over the last few days that it's chances are good that if, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about what would have happened with the vice president. If he had been moved just a moment later, or if the crowd had been a moment or two earlier, it was like five minutes. He was like a matter of, you know, a, a few hundred feet away from a big crowd of, of angry, you know, um, insurrectionists who were looking for Mike Pence to hang. Um, But he was being guarded by the Secret Service at that point. Now, my own guess is that it's probably in some ways it's luckier for the insurrectionists that they didn't find him. Because uh, from what I understand of the Secret Service, and I'm not an expert in this, but from what I understand of the Secret Service, uh, they are trained to protect the vice president and the president at all costs. So (laughs) my guess is that they are pretty well armed. And they are prepared uh, to do whatever is necessary to keep the vice president safe. So uh, I would say it's likely that that the mob was on the lucky end of that one. Not so much the vice president. But him too. And his family too. And again, I say I don't like the vice president. I don't agree with him politically. That doesn't mean I want him hung. No. I don't. I don't want him harmed. I just want him to leave office duly, you know, defeated in a constitutionally sanctioned election. Fair and square. Out. But do I want him killed, harmed? No. I don't want anybody killed or harmed. Uh, What I'm saying, though, is that if uh, if they had actually encountered the vice president, that crowd, that mob that was attacking the Capitol. They had been a little bit earlier and they'd seen him down the hall. Something tells me that the uh, Secret Service might have found it necessary to um, gun down about a dozen of them. I think that might have changed their minds about trying to get the vice president. I don't know. That's a counterfactual, right? We'll never know. We'll never know what would have happened. But from what I understand of of those fuckers, <laughs> you don't mess with them. Even if you are sort of ex-military and, you know, spend most of your time, you know, doing little drills in your backyard or whatever. <sighs> anyway, uh, so honestly, give these people a medal, Right. They saved our democracy, D.C. police, Michael Fanon, Daniel Hodges, Capitol Police, Eugene Goodman, and, you know, posthumously, a curse Brian Sicknick, and others, too numerous to name, thanks for saving um, our imperfect, but still our system of government from a bunch of racist thugs. Just in closing I want to mention uh, I, I very much appreciate the fact that Daniel Hodges, that guy that was being crushed in the doorway. I very much appreciate the fact that he he made a point of saying, Well, it was a he, he was he was glad to be able to stop a bunch of white supremacists. I forget exactly how he termed it, but if you see the clip, uh, I think it was Channel Four NBC in Washington, um, ran the clip. Uh, you'll see what I mean. He He talks about how glad he was to be a part of that, and he would would do it. He was happy to do it, even though it was very difficult. So, good on him. Anyway, that's all I got for this week. I'd like to know what you have to say. You can leave me a voice message at anchor.fm slash strange sound. You can also find me on Twitter at Strange Sound Pod. If you go to big green.net, uh, the home site of my uh, our creative collective, Big Green, uh, and click on contact, you'll find um, ways to get in touch with me that, uh, in addition to the ones that I earlier mentioned. And you can also click on the uh, podcast tab. Or the blog tab. I'm blogging furiously under uh, the what I've been calling Hammer Mill Days. But um, you, you'll find the blog on there as well. There's a political rant category um, that you can check out. And please, you know, um, you know, pipe up. If you disagree with me, pipe up. If you agree with me, pipe up. Um, leave me a message. Send me a private message on Twitter or, you know, tweet at me or whatever you want to do, however you want to contact me. Be glad to hear from you. That's all I got for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Take care out there.